Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God that speaks to us, that guides us and leads us. Thank you that uh, through your word we can hear you speak, but also um, be convicted on how we, we're called to live. Uh, Lord, you've called us to be a church, loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world. It's in the Bible. I pray, Lord, that as we hear it, uh, you'll you'll uh, remind us of that truth, and you'll, uh, by your Spirit, move our hearts in that direction. Help us to be a people uh, living that out um, for your sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to an escape room before? Who here has been to an escape room? So about 50% of the room. Uh, an escape room is essentially like a room full of puzzles, and you have to figure out all the puzzles or riddles uh, to escape the room. So it's an escape room. Uh, if you've ever played Tomb Raider, think Tomb Raider in real life in a room. So you feel like, well, Zelda, I don't know what kind of video games you play, but that sort of thing, uh, unlocking doors, trying to have, uh, with a team of people, okay? Now, do you remember how you felt when you went to the escape room? The people you went with? I was thinking about this. One of the first times I went, I went with a small group, uh, and amongst us, there were about, I think, six of us. Uh, two were, were quiet. They were trying to solve the riddles in their head. They were trying to uh, turn everything upside down. They weren't really communicating with anyone. They were just doing their own thing. There was another one who was just really hyped. She was sharing excitedly everything she was, you know, she was doing. She was processing out loud, and, and you know, she was just loud, like the extrovert she was. The other one, and I won't say it's my wife, but it was, she was screaming, she was touching everything, ah, not knowing too much what she was doing, but found all these clues by chance. Uh, there was the guy, the guy who was sharing his feelings, but not really finding solutions. And then there was me. And um, I was just thinking, how do I work in this environment? Uh, that, that was me. And... Uh, I'm, I'm the quiet type. When I'm in, in, in these escape rooms, I'm silently processing clues, but I, honestly, I felt super dumb myself. I didn't know where to start. I was in this room to just turn everything upside down as well, right? That was how I approached the escape room. Now, we went into this room thinking, yes, let's have strategy. <laughs> let's be a team. We have to communicate. We have to problem solve together. Let's complement our strengths. 
But once we were in there, the time was ticking. It was pandemonium, right? Every man and woman for themselves. The, extra, the extroverts are processing out loud. The introverts were like trying to quietly work on their own and time was ticking, right? No cohesion, very little strategy, a lot of panic. We did make it out alive, okay? We survived, it was fun. I don't think we did it in the time or we got a lot of clues from the helper, the, the, the guy that's running the game. But here's the thing, if I was to ask you, who would you take with you into an escape room? Who would you want to take? Like, the, who are the first people that come to mind? Are they people like you? Or are they people different to you? And what role do you play part of that team in an escape room? Now, what about a church community? If you were to join a church community, what kind of people would you want to be part of? Uh, who would you want to, uh, to be part of that church community with you? What would it look like for you to be involved in that church community as well? Reality is there are a lot of extroverts in the room and a lot of introverts as well. Uh, if you've been to a, a Providence long enough, you would have heard us mentioned multiple times at church. We are a church on about loving Jesus, loving each other and loving our world. How do we do that? How do we play our role in this church community, loving each other, when everyone here, wow, everyone here is so different to me. What will it mean for us who are on board with being part of Providence Church? Today we're going to be thinking as we unpack Philippians 2 and how that impacts our church life together. Now, from, from the get-go, Paul goes into what it looks like practically, doesn't he? Chapter 2. Now, remember, we've got to read everything in context. Chapter 1, he, he's praying for the church. He shares about his own experiences. Uh, in verse 27, he says, Live lives worthy of the gospel. And that's why in chapter 2, he gets straight into what it looks like to live lives worthy of the gospel. The first thing he says, let's be united. Chapter 2, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So if your faith has united you with Jesus, if you're united with Jesus because of your faith, you've also been united with the church. All right? What happens, what, what's going on there is we've been brought into a relationship with God, our Father, God the Creator. There's a sort of vertical relationship, you could say. And through that, He calls us to also be in a horizontal relationship. He actually brings us into a horizontal relationship with the church community, with, with other Christians, essentially. Uh, you, you can't get out of that because once you're a Christian, you're part of the family of God's people. You're, you're part of the church, the community of God's people. How does that work? Christ's death, when Christ dies on the cross, he unites us. So we all share in the same spirit. That's what it says there. We share the same spirit uh, of God that lives in us. And it's why we can all call God our Father, our Heavenly Father. That's why we call church our church family sometimes. See, Christians aren't saved to be in isolation. Christians are saved to be in community. And it's only in community when, if you go throughout the Bible, there's all these one another commands. It's how we practice those one another commands because we're brought into a community with others where we can practice those gospel commands of love, where we give love, where we receive love too. Now, if you love and are united to Jesus, then Paul says, be united with your church. Use the freedom you have not to live for just yourself, but to live for God and be united to his community. Now, I love this idea of community. And as I look around, everyone is often, in our culture today, everyone is often looking for community, aren't they? Community and connection. I read stats the other day, and uh, uh, this was just on Facebook. Someone shared this, um, but it said this, air pollution increases your risk of early death by 5%, obesity by 18%, 
Physical inactivity, not exercising, by 22%. Loneliness, though, increases your risk of early death by 26%. That's, that's, that's a shocking figure. It, it just means humans need connection. Loneliness kills. And to have connection begins with community, doesn't it? We need to find communities where we can connect with people. What is community? Isn't community just simple, simply a, a common unity? We have a common unity that which makes us a community. A unity around uh, something we all share in common. We have communities you know, in our city around what painting and art, around uh, breakdancing and books and chess and, and mahjong and what, el what else? Uh, I, I have a friend who started a, a, a business really, but it's called Broken Wilds Games, which has attracted Pokemon trading card fans into a community. He opened up this venue where people can come and trade Pokemon cards and battle through Pokemon cards. I didn't know this existed, but that's what he did. It's how cool is that? He brought this community together. Uh, there's a community club near my house called the Sunnybank Bridge Community Club. Community club. I don't even know what bridge is, but there's a community that plays bridge. It's a game, right? Card game. Okay, sure. But what do we come? Why do we come and join church? What's our common unity? Let me be clear, we aren't a social club, are we? Not here just to make friends. We aren't a place that's just about like a concert, a place to you know, enjoy good music, although we do care, we try to care about the quality of our songs. We're not a community that exists just to find a girlfriend or boyfriend. <laughs> if you're here to hook up, well, you're in the wrong place. Uh, in saying that, if you do find your future spouse, fantastic. But that's not your primary reason, not your primary reason for joining a church, is it? It's a bonus, not an expectation. Because a church community is primarily centered upon Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He designed this community and sets the agenda to be one of love and selflessness like Christ. That's what being in spirit and of one mind looks like. We, we share in Christ and God's spirit and desire what he wants of us. We, we, we're called to be a community around him. And we all have to play our role in this, don't we? The issue I hear too often is people saying that they love God, but they don't really want to love his church. I can be a Christian without the church. I love, I'm a fan of God. I'm not a fan of his fan club. Isn't it just about me and my relationship with God anyways? But that isn't quite correct, is it? And too often I'm guessing it's because that per person has either a gap in their knowledge, perhaps, about God and the Bible, or they have experienced hurt because of the church. And I get that. But let me help and say this. We all have to have real ex expectations, don't we? We all have to have real expect expectations that we're not going to do community perfectly at times. Others and ourselves will fail. Sometimes we are selfish. Sometimes we have blind spots. Sometimes we make mistakes. None of that is easy. We want to have a community that's vulnerable with each other. We want relationships of confession and honesty and prayer and support and accountability. But it's a process, isn't it? Some of us have to work through areas of shame and weakness and baggage. But don't we all have something that makes us unbearable at times? If everyone knew your deepest, darkest secrets, the skeletons buried deep in your closet, would you want to be in a community with you? You know, when you start a new church, you put your best foot forward, like, like you're going on a date, right? You want people to like you, so you're on your best behavior. And while I get that, I do hope you'll come as you are. I want to encourage that. Leave your mask at the door. It means we should expect that it's going to be messy at times. To have genuine relationships, it requires working through the mess. I've had to work through a lot of my mess over these years as I walk with others through their mess as well. But isn't that the community 
of God. Isn't that what it looks like? A community of different personalities and what different people coming together looks like. What should we expect? You should, in any community, expect personalities to clash at times. But through some level of conflict, the closer you get or work together, even through all those jarring experiences, you grow with others, don't you? You work on yourself. You build each other up. And, and you learn to work through the mess. You learn to communicate better. And we all get a little bit more united, don't we? It's a process of welcoming the differences. And that's a beautiful picture of God's grace and what God intended for his, his people. It takes time. You know, th- if you're new here, our community, what it is today, it's because of the last eight years. What is it? How does it go? Forming and storming or all that sort of thing? Like we had to work through a lot of mess. It takes time. And it will keep taking time. But once we're able to pull down the facade, once we're able to pull that down the walls and be authentic and honest and raw with one another, we'll start truly seeing ourselves and start seeing others as God sees them. A glorious mess that God is sanctifying day by day. We can't do it alone. We do need God's help for our unity. But as we work on ourselves and our unity, we'll day by day be made into a community that practices love for one another as we love Christ. Let's not get complacent with this. Let's not think that this isn't a priority. Imagine a church that wasn't unified, that didn't love one another. How would that even function? I mean, the gospel wouldn't progress in our own lives spiritually, and it'd really stunt our mission to make disciples, wouldn't it? That simple would make Jesus look bad. Preaching a love that we don't practice? I was thinking about this, and I'm not a big sports guy, um, but it does remind me of the U.S. basketball team. I don't know if you know about this. There's this, you know, the NBA. The U.S. basketball team went to the Olympics in 2004. They were stacked with the best players, right? The best players across the league. The best in the world, in fact. And they lost in the semifinals. They didn't make it to the finals. This basketball team, 2004, they only managed to get bronze. The whole world was watching. It was humiliating for them because these are the best basketball players in the world. They came in third place. Why? And if you, go, if, you, if you watch documentaries on this, they had the most athletic and skilled players, but those players didn't know how to play with each other. They didn't know how to pass the ball. They were mavericks. They were glory hogs. They weren't unified. But that's what they had to go through to learn. And that pain drives growth and change and creates unity. Let's together seek to make Jesus look good in our unity with him and our unity with one another. Paul goes on, today, uh, goes on to say, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. This was written, like, what, over 2,000 years ago? And it's, a, it's not surprising, but humans haven't changed much, have they? Right? The church today still needs to hear this same message. The church community, we're called to do nothing out of a selfish, prideful heart that elevates yourself over others. Because isn't that our default? To only look to our own interests above others. Paul is preaching to real people here. We can read this and go, oh wow, that's so relatable. Who People are selfish and proud. Isn't that true of you? Isn't that true of me? At times? Isn't it really easy to come to church and, and, and do it for ourselves and not for the others around us? Let me ask you, how do you approach church? Do you come to church asking, what can I get out of this community? How can I get comfortable here? How can I serve God in this community that's placed right in front of me? It's so easy, as, as simple as walking through the doors on a Sunday morning. 
where am I going to sit today? Am I going to sit where I'm comfortable? Or am I going to sit where I can welcome the newcomer? Am I going to sit where I can uh, talk to someone who I haven't chatted to yet? These are the things that we should be thinking about, but how easy is it to come through church and just go, where can I be comfortable today? Where can I go to church where it suits me? You know, when we think about this community, this common unity around Jesus, and this part here, thinking about do nothing out of selfish ambition, it's, it's, the, the reality is we've got to come to this conclusion. It's not about you. It's not about me. We can't approach church with a mentality that church exists for me. It doesn't. Church exists for Jesus. That's why we're here. I hope you know that. If I have that consumer mentality, I'm always going to be disappointed, left disappointed, because you're looking for a church that's going to suit your needs from other people that are also broken, who might also have that selfish ambition too. We all need to get on the same page. That's why the vision is so important. But just imagine a church that is on about loving Jesus. Wow, what would that look like? Letting a love overflow to the people Jesus loves. I love Jesus and I want to love who Jesus loves. That means the people around me. I want to be united with them. I want to look to their interests above my own, just like Jesus did. Instead of selfish ambition, isn't the answer humility and valuing others above yourselves? That's what Paul says here. We don't hear this much, do we? And in the secular, in the secular world, outside of church, in the secular workplace, or in our schools, we're taught to be fiercely independent. We're taught to be competent, competitive, and go-getters and seize the moment. You're the number one. You, you look out for yourself. But in God's economy, it's, it's so different than the world's, isn't it? Uh, in God's economy, the, the currency isn't your ambition, it's your humility. Does that make sense? I don't do economics or finance. In God's economy, the currency isn't your ambition, it's your humility. Hopefully that makes sense, right? It's not your competency, it's your character. That's what matters. It transforms the way you approach church. It's, it's really what, what Paul is saying is, is, is be countercultural to the world around us. So we don't come each week just to feel good about ourselves and then go, go home and go away with, with bigger heads and not bigger hearts. The church certainly isn't a place for you to get simply entertained. But sadly, the consumeristic mentality really floods the church sometimes. If I serve this church, I hope to get something in return. That's not grace. That's not humble service. That's not looking to the needs of others above your own. The culture around, the culture around us tells us to be consumers, doesn't it? And when the, con the consumer isn't satisfied, we go on Facebook, we go on Google, we write that one-star review and make a complaint. Isn't that what we're told to do? The consumer culture, right, in churches is, is whisper and gossip, and sometimes you might see bad reviews online. But look at Paul's word. It's, it's counterculture. Be a part of a church community. Look to others' needs above your own. There are needs in church, right? We all, because we all come to church as needy people. Just like you come to church because you're needy, we all are needy. In, for example, we're, we're needy of connection, human connection. So can I encourage you? Do what's in your capacity. Do what's in your capaci capacity and power to meet some of those needs. Some things might not go your way. Some things might take time for growth and maturity. Deeper, vulnerable relationships, that takes time. Don't get discouraged if the answer is no, not yet, or you feel rejected when someone doesn't want to go coffee with you or read the Bible with you or share personal stuff with you. Don't get discouraged. You can only do what's in your power and your control. Be patient. I think our generation needs to hear, be patient. Not everything comes instantly. It will be a test of your character and your humility. And even more so at a church level, as someone who's a pastor of a church, some things require time to accomplish. A culture shift sometimes. A culture shift doesn't happen overnight. But it's the ordinary, everyday faithfulness where it begins. That's where the seeds are sown. Uh, in the words of Michael Horton, he's a U.S. theologian and author. He writes in his book, Ordinary. He says, everyone wants to change the world, 
but no one wants to wash the dishes, right? Friends, if, if we see the needs of our church, let's, let's humble ourselves, let's contribute, let's communicate, let's volunteer, let's serve. Don't wait to be asked. Don't jump ship either, simply because it doesn't immediately meet your current needs. Seek to love, seek to serve. And when we do that, when we do that hu- in humility, guess, wh- guess what's on display? The love of Jesus to a watching world. As you love and serve, we're making much of Jesus. We're making Jesus look good. And isn't that precisely the model Paul calls us to follow? From verse 5 to 11, the gospel that drives our love, that empowers us to love, it says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And I love this. It gets so poetic here. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He comes to serve being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, what makes this beautiful is the King, our God, our Jesus, is on the throne. But he's the same king who, in his freedom, left his throne to die for us, to give us our freedom, to give us an eternal freedom. Uh, when you go through the Bible, you'll, you'll hear references to what, why he came to serve. In Mark chapter 10, it says, He came to serve, not to be served. In the form of a servant, he was born as a man to die on the cross. In obedience, he went to the cross. He humbled himself to that point. The king didn't have... Right, like he didn't come to earth to have uh, a big entourage, personal assistant, entertainers, secret service at his beck and call. He didn't have any of that. He had no throne to sit on. At times, no bed to sleep on. He went through times of hunger and anger and grief, of deep sorrow. A king who became a nobody, who limited his own freedoms to serve you and I. He had the right to rule, but he laid his rights aside to become human. A nobody, so he could sit with the needy, the rich and the poor, the helpless, the proud, the selfish, you and I, broken people who were once far from God. Our King Jesus has shown us what greatness looks like. It looks like humble service. He showed it to us in his love for us. He showed it to us in his obedience to death on the cross. And when we acknowledge, when we embrace that through faith, our identity has been changed, hasn't it? No longer sinners, but saints. Freed from the sin that entangles our hearts. Life abundance. Free to love others without needing anything in return. Because through Jesus, he has met our every need completely. We're not in want. We have everything in Christ. We don't need human applause and recognition or status. And yeah, sure, we're human still, so it hurts a little bit sometimes. When you might give love to someone and they reject it, or they're not appreciative of it, right, we, we all feel a little bit, we're human still. But we're also secure in Christ, aren't we? We also have Christ as our, as our rock and our foundation. We don't need the status, we've been, we've been crowned by Christ, united with Him, freed to have peace and joy so that we can serve God and serve others here. Some of the things I want us to consider as we think about uh, our vision, loving Jesus and loving each other. If we know Jesus and we know that he's the king on the throne who comes to serve us, what will it look like to love one another? It, looked like, it looks like community, being united together, and it looks like humbly serving one another.
I'm going to invite Eunice to the stage. She's been with our church uh, since 2016. She's heard me preach about our vision multiple times, because I do this every year. Uh, she's going to help us consider how this applies to us. Hello, everyone. This is different. It is. It's weird. Um, yes, this is such a beautiful passage. I love Philippians 2. So, like Mikey said, I've been at Providence since 2016. And in my first year of joining Providence, I was asked to be in a video for our su the supporters of our church plant. And in the video, I said something about loving the simplicity and clarity of our vision statement. Loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world. And that still rings true for me. I love that we start with loving Jesus, and then the other two flow out of our love for Jesus. And over the years, even though it's not perfect, I've seen that it's cultivated such a beautiful community because it comes from a place of loving Jesus. In my first proper visit to Providence, back in January 2016, the first person who spoke to me was actually Billy. I don't know if he remembers. Wow. Um, he looked really tired and introverted. <laughs> <laughs> But he still said hi to me, and he wanted to get to know me. And when he found out I was a uni student, he said, you probably don't want to talk to an old fogey like me. Um, and then he introduced me to the other uni students who invited me to church dinner, because that was we had an evening service back then. And they made me feel really welcomed. The next week, a few minutes after I got to church, and back then when I was new, I arrived 15 minutes early. <laughs> um, you don't still? What? Sometimes. <laughs> I was immediately introduced to a new person to talk to and it was my second week and I was already encouraged to welcome a newcomer and I actually really appreciated this because it showed me that I had a role to play in this church. It demonstrated to me that in this church everyone has a role to play in serving others and being served regardless of how long we've been here for and I've seen this play out in so many ways. While Mikey and Heidi do make a big effort to meet up with those that they're able to, people from our church who also have no duty whatsoever also choose to use their time to catch up with each other, whether that's with a newcomer or someone who's struggling or just to form deeper friendships. Last year, I went through a rough period of burnout and struggle, and I personally find it really hard to share with others when I'm struggling and to ask for help. I kept serving at church, and many would have assumed that I was doing okay. But some really caring people truly wanted to know how I was going, and they would ask me questions like, how are you really going? <clears throat> or how has, leading, how has ministry and leading your missional community group been for you this year? And they would just sit and listen to me, and offer to meet up and listen in greater detail. And it helped me to learn that to heal from burnout isn't to distance myself from people or church or even necessarily to serve less at church, but it's to be connected to gospel community, being connected to God, myself and others, and being encouraged by people who point me to Jesus in kind and gracious ways and to encourage others to persevere. As an MCG leader, which is our midweek small groups, I've also seen many ways that people serve one another. Everything we say or don't say does affect the group in some way. 
our presence, even and especially when we're tired and don't feel like it, serves one another and serves your leaders. Volunteering to organize MCG socials, sharing vulnerably with each other, following up with each other, including remembering and asking about the prayer requests from last week, communicating with the group the reason why you can't make it with intentionality and words of encouragement instead of just not coming, or answering the easy comprehension questions when there's an awkward silence. <laughs> Those are all great ways of serving your MCG. MCG hasn't even started yet for this year, and we've already had some people offer to host it at their place some weeks this year, which is just such a wonderful way to serve your leaders by giving them a break from hosting. In my seven years at Providence, I've seen unity look like some of us laying aside our pride and our opinion in order to show love and grace to others, and some of us stepping outside our comfort zone to share what's on our hearts and speak words of rebuke, even when that goes completely against our natural disposition. I've seen unity look like focusing less on our own wants and needs and focusing instead on how to serve others. And I've seen unity look like those who serve others a lot, recognizing our own limitedness and allowing others to minister to us. But above all, I think that a true community of unity and humility is one that's soaked in prayer. Prayer for ourselves, especially of our character and godliness, to be more like Jesus. Prayer for one another and prayer for our church. How often do we pray for our church service, for the preaching, for the music team, for the service leader, for the AV team, and even that church lunch can be glorifying to God? How often do we pray for our MCGs, our MCG leaders, and our MCG socials? Do we pray for our pastor, our ministry worker, and our elders? The pastor in particular is someone that Satan most wants to tempt, target, and discourage. Because he's doing good work for God's kingdom. How often do we pray for our pastor's spiritual life, character, marriage, and perseverance? And there's a book that I would recommend too. It's called Fight for Your Pastor. <laughs> Feel free to read it. Um, and I think that these are only just some practical ways that we can seek gospel unity and humble service as we live out our vision together. Thanks, Eunice. <laughs> it's such an important point, hey, uh, to, to pray. You know, to pray for our unity and humi humility as we, uh, as we are God's community together as we live out our vision, loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world. I've had the privilege of coming, uh, of, being, of pastoring this church, and uh, we've been around for nearly eight years now. Uh, it's, you know, we're celebrating our eighth birthday in a couple of months. And over these eight years, I've seen people come together to practice gospel love, to grow in unity, to seek to serve one another in humility, because the gospel empowers them to do so. If you're still starting out, if you're trying to work out how to do this better, uh, the, the place to start or... or where you should go to is the gospel. Keep coming back to the truth that our king humbled himself as he looked to our needs to free us from sin and to bring us back to God and sacrifice his very life. Let that truth sink deep. Pray. Ask God to reveal this more and more to you. And then work in your heart to be humble, vulnerable, 
loving, selfless in the way we seek and uh, serve and seek God's glory in this community together. If you're not a Christian and you're here, the gospel message is what empowers Christians to do what we do. We truly believe he is worth it. We'll lay aside our own interest to serve those around us, to love and be selfless, because that's what Jesus has done for us. And he's so worth it. He's the foundation of providence. And I'm hoping if you're, you're not a Christian, you'll want to discover Jesus for yourself and how life-changing he is for the better. But let me finish. Sometimes I look around church and it brings me back to that escape room. <laughs> I'm in a room of people who are so unlike me trying to process this journey of life together, the highs and the lows, but work out how to ensure we'll make it to the end. Make it to the end with our faith intact, honoring God. We are all different, but we all share that common unity in Christ, don't we? And so if that is what brings us together, let's continue on that path with Christ shaping us and empowering us to be the church, loving him, loving one another, and loving our world. Let's pray now. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice you made for us, that you became a nobody to serve us and to sacrifice your life on the cross so that our sin could be redeemed, so that we could be saved into a relationship with you, but also into a relationship with one another. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to, to know the gospel and allow the gospel to shape how we live, how we serve, how we play our role in the church. Help us to be a people, Lord, that is, that is seeking, to, uh, seeking unity and seeking humility in the way that we treat one another. I pray, Lord, that as a church, uh, as we do this, Lord, we'll be making Jesus look good. We'll be making, uh, we'll be making the gospel uh, known in the way that we love, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak. I pray for this, Lord, as we uh, continue another uh, year, as we get into another year of, of being the, the church you've called us to be, to be on this mission and to live out this vision, I pray, Lord, that, that you'll remind us of the gospel that empowers us to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.